Previously on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. He can know and not know at the same time. We need this kind of trash can and we need this kind of camera. Carlos Correa became the leader. If you talk mess, you better back it up or you're going to get run over. And he did all of that. You know, you got the bad uncle and you got the good <laughs> uncle. And he was the good uncle. They loved him and they played for him. They didn't want us to win. They definitely didn't want us in the World Series. The only way you can get people off your tail is that you beat them. And once you get that whip in your Stop talking. <laughs> I said, he threw the damn ball in the stands. I can't get that. I don't think we can afford George. I played for the Dodgers, and I still don't like them. Yes, those are all the reasons why people said we probably shouldn't play football. We believe in change, and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. Let it go out there today, baby. Three. And once again, our mighty ship is back on course. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Oh! Mama, there goes that man. Beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, the star of our show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. So glad that you are here for our Tuesday edition as we come to you guys on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We wrap up the NFL week on Tuesday and we get you previewed for the upcoming weekend on Thursdays. And in between time, we talk about anything and everything else in the world of sports. So if this is your first time, welcome aboard. We have a fun podcast for you. And if you're back, hey, we love you for coming back. We certainly appreciate that as well. Gonna give you a rundown of what we have coming up, but first, I want to remind you guys, go to the wageworldproductions.com website. That's wageworldproductions. Go there, go to the bottom of any page, and subscribe to the email list. You'll get periodic emails from us and uh, letting you know what we have going on, where we'll be, what new features we have, and what we have going on. So that's coming up. In addition to that, I want to remind you guys and, and inform you guys, we have a 24-hour-day sports line that you can call with questions, comments, requests, anything you want to say, 24 hours a day. 832-941-6614. That's 832-941-6614. And also, if you want to be interactive, and we certainly encourage you to do just that, go to our social media on Facebook, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade page and group on Facebook. Go to the group and there's a, a fan page as well, but the group is where we are really interactive. That's on Facebook and on Twitter at WadesWord. So W-A-D-E-S-W-O-R-D. Started to do a little bit more Facebook live stuff. We'll venture more into that as we go along. So all that's going on this time out, we have a fun episode as we welcome back a member of our special teams unit, former NFL linebacker, Eddie Robinson. He's also our European sports nerd. So we, I'm sure he'll have some Lewis Hamilton talk, but we'll get into some NFL stuff and maybe a number of other things with Eddie. He's coming up in just a little bit. Also, we have a number of features. If you've never listened, we have features throughout. Some features are only on Tuesdays, others on Thursdays. Some are in just about every episode. So we have some headlines coming up. Also, I'm going to tell you not only who was nice this weekend, but who was D-nice. Get the official D, the Devin Wade stamp of approval. We have that coming up. Also, when you do good, you get the D-nice. When you do bad, you still have the blues. We have that coming up for you as well. We have a Lamont Award for the big dummy of the episode. And I will get on my soapbox. We'll talk some stuff that's not just... 
not just about sports always. So all of those things are coming up. And our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy, on the mix at the halfway point, and a word from our sponsor, Cobank Homes. So all that's going on. So right now, let's get into some headlines. In headlines, the World Series Game 6 is tonight, and maybe it'll be over. The Los Angeles Dodgers, they have fought themselves and the Tampa Bay Rays in getting uh, a lead in the series. They could close it out. Let's see if they do. Dave Roberts kind of rooting for you. Uh, the uh, only African-American player in the World Series, Mookie Betts, definitely rooting for him. And we'll see what if the Dodgers can win. Not crazy about the Dodgers. I'm just, I'm, I love what Enos Cabell said. He said, I played for the Dodgers and I didn't like the Dodgers. The Dodgers have been my, our arch rivals in many, many ways since I was a little kid and it doesn't help what happened in 2017 and them complaining about it so much, uh, but they, they've had their chances and they have another chance this time out. It's been an exciting, crazy World Series, uh, especially Game 4. Game 4 was really, really crazy. Go back on YouTube and look at videos and, and see that. If you didn't watch it, I mean, the game's like four and a half hours long. So I'm sure most of you guys didn't stay up to to watch that ending. But it was certainly worth it to go back and take a look. Also, Antonio Brown, we talked about him last time. He has joined the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He is a part of the team. That's a big, big deal. If he would have waited a week, he might have signed a deal in Cleveland. But I think he loves where he is in Tampa. And I think it's a better fit for him than in Seattle. Seattle, I didn't think it was a good fit. And you know who else didn't think it was a good fit? Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett, 15 receptions, 200 yards, doing his damn thing, three touchdowns, having a season full of highlights in one night. Who needs Antonio Brown when Tyler Lockett is doing what he does? Also, the uh, in the NFL, one remaining undefeated team, that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. They defeated Tennessee. That's a big, big deal. So we uh, will follow them. It's fun when they're good because, you know, that North is such a brutal division. I'm telling you, man, they're getting ready to play the Baltimore Ravens. And, that I mean, that's throwback football. That is very hard, aggressive, just mean, vicious football. The kind of football where the next week you're still not all the way right. But they, uh, they are back. Mike Tomlin, man, he is more and more – He's looking like a brilliant coach. He's caught a lot of criticism from even folks like uh, Terry Bradshaw. Caught a lot of hell from a lot of people. But when you see that Le'Veon Bell was a malcontent in New York, and now he's in Kansas City. When you see what he dealt with with Antonio Brown, when you see what he's able to do when he has a quarterback, and even when he didn't have a quarterback, he almost went to the playoffs. This dude is a good, good coach, a really good coach, and he needs more props. But right now they're the only undefeated team because because my MVP, Russell Wilson, man, they had a couple of penalties in that game on Sunday night. That was the game of the week. An epic game. Although there were fantastic finishes throughout the NFL in week seven. That Sunday night game was amazing, and it had a little bit of everything. The missed field goal to win the game, the uh, the overtime, the touchdown that was called back, and then the subsequent interception and the redemption by the kicker. But Russell Wilson, on the night, he had uh, 472 total yards. He had 84 yards rushing, 388 yards passing. He had three passing touchdowns. He did everything except he had the interception. The three interceptions and the last one was very, very costly. All of them were costly, but that was particularly costly, and uh, they end up losing that game. They weren't going to go undefeated, but that was the first time they lost in Arizona since 2012, and I think the highlight that wasn't 
significant. Or, or it really kind of was because it prevented the Arizona Cardinals from getting a touchdown. The Buda Baker interception that DK, uh, DK Metcalf ran down preventing Buda Baker from getting into the end zone. That was an amazing play. And I think a couple of the other headlines, it's New England versus Tampa Bay. It's Belichick versus Brady. Right now, Brady's looking great with the acquisition of Antonio Brown by the Buccaneers. And really, New England is struggling. You had the COVID thing. We had the schedule moved around. You couldn't practice. They you know, went a long time without practicing. They come back last week. Their starting quarterback, Cam Newton had COVID, comes back, turns over the football, looks really, really bad. This week, he does the same thing. Nine for 15, three interceptions for 98 yards. 98 yards passing. He gets pulled. Jared Stenham comes in, the backup. He throws an interception. They get dominated by a quarterback that may haunt them for years to come if he's not already. Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo, of course, was Tom Brady's backup and heir apparent, but apparently Brady was not comfortable with that. So guess what? Garoppolo got shipped out, and the rest is uh, history right now. He took uh, the San Francisco 49ers to a Super Bowl, didn't win it. Uh, they've been struggling all season long with injuries and all kinds of stuff, but uh, they bounced back in a big way to dominate them. So also this week, we have to take a look to see what happens with as the NFL trade deadline happens. So that's going on. So all of that is happening. But we will keep an eye out on all of that. So with that, I want to I give my stamp of approval. It's my this is these are my awards each week to five teams and five players who were not only nice, they were D nice. But here are some of the prerequisites. First of all, you have to win. That's why Russell Wilson with uh, 84 yards rushing and 388 yards passing and three touchdowns, he didn't make the list. Even with the two interceptions, he would have made the list. But with the three interceptions and loss, he didn't make the list. And Tyler Lockett, he had he's the offense player of the week. 15 receptions, 200 yards, three touchdowns. The dude was absolutely amazing. He won't get his props, uh, but uh, he well he may get his props by the NFL. He won't get them here. He he was nice, but because they didn't win, he wasn't D nice. But let's see who was D nice. That's nice. That's nice. That's nice. That's nice. That's nice. When you're talking about teams that would be nice, how about those Arizona Cardinals? For the first time since 2012, they beat the Seattle Seahawks at home, 37-34, in a thrilling matchup that saw Kyler Murray get all the way off. We'll talk about him, but they would be nice. Well, we said someone's O had to go. The Pittsburgh Steelers remained undefeated after defeating the Tennessee Titans in Nashville, 27-24. They would be nice. Viva Las Vegas for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They put a 45 spot up on the Las Vegas Raiders. They are rolling on all cylinders and just added Antonio Brown. They were D-nice. The Washington football team took their turns and beating the hell out of the Dallas Cowboys. They dominated 25-3. And head coach Ron Rivera just completed his final treatment in his battle against cancer. They were D-nice. Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco 49ers went into Foxborough. Jimmy making his return and he let it be known. He's kicking taking names. They beat the New England Patriots 33-6, dominating in all aspects of the game. They were D-nice. When you talk about players that were D-nice, we can go to the aforementioned Buccaneers victory over the Las Vegas Raiders. Brady in that game was 33 of 45, four touchdowns. He was D-nice. 
Kyler Murray did just about everything versus the Seattle Seahawks. He outgunned the real MVP, Russell Wilson, on the evening. He was 34 of 48, three touchdowns, one interception, and he was D-nice. Los Angeles Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert got his first win as a starter, 39-29 over the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was 27 of 43, 347 yards, and three touchdowns in the win. Devontae Adams made a triumphant return after being banged up against the Houston Texans in a 35-20 win. He had 13 receptions for 196 yards and two touchdowns. He was D-nice. And finally, Jeff Wilson, the running back for the San Francisco 49ers, he got hurt, but he went out with a bang in a 33-6 victory over the New England Patriots. He had 17 carries for 112 yards and three touchdowns before exiting with an injury. So those teams and those players get the Devin Way seal of approval because they were D-nice. To have your comments heard, call 832-941-6614. Hope you guys uh, give me your opinion, your takes on who was D-Nice. If you agree, disagree, if you have somebody I left off the list, please give us a call. Like I said, uh, 832-941-6614, 24 hours a day. And uh, we'll probably have a We the People segment uh, coming up this Thursday. Now, over the last couple of episodes, I have worked in, <laughs> I've sort of shifted some things a little bit, or shifted one segment. And I'm going to revisit that a little bit earlier in the show than I normally do. Of course, we still have Eddie Robinson coming up and a Lamont Ward, our DJ, DJ anarchy and a whole lot more but right now it's it's my time to shake my fist and be a little grouchy this is me going on my soapbox when we are together we got power and now it's time to get on the soapbox In this segment, I, I sort of shifted. It used to be what's brand new, like what's brand new in my life, sort of a slice of my life. Well, that's not always interesting, especially since COVID. It really isn't interesting. I don't go anywhere right now. I, I ventured out just for a second to support our guy, DJ Anarchy. By the way, check him out on Instagram, DJ Anarchy, our resident DJ. You'll be hearing from him shortly. So my slice of life isn't quite as interesting all of the time. And, and I've been consumed, quite frankly, by what is going on in our society with politics, politics and healthcare, and the election, and just all of the conflict that's going on. And I'm going to tell you right now, everybody is on edge. I mean, it is palpable. You can feel the tension in the air. The stock market is volatile. So much is going on. So many people are anticipating what's going on or what's not going to happen next Tuesday. We're a week away from the election. And as we speak, I... I'm going to give you a little bit of optimism. First of all, the conflict and the tension can be good. What you don't want it to turn into is all-out anarchy. And we are, we are very close to that in some, some segments of our society. A lot of people feel so out of control. People have such a negative view of everything. So I'm going to try to go the other way with that and be a little bit more optimistic. First of all, I think we will have a definite winner by next Tuesday. Whether there's a concession or not, I think the tide of this country has turned. 
And I just, I feel it. I feel like things are going to not be as bad as we think. Now, are we going to have some outbursts? Are we going to have some random acts of probably violence? We will, I, I suspect. Unfortunately, we will. But I think, and I've said this for a while, that there are a couple major tantrums that's, uh, that's going to happen in this society before we turn the corner and get back on that primrose path to trying to work ourselves towards a more perfect union. Now, I am, by nature, a pessimistic person. And I do not have a lot of faith in humanity sometimes. I'm, I mean, it just is, you, if you inform yourselves, you see things. But I say that to say, I, I do believe that progress can be made and we evolve towards a better future. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be linear. It's not going to be a straight path towards a more perfect union. But I do think that we can get there. And there's there's so many conflicts within families, within races. You know, African-Americans right now, it's a lot of conflict. You have rappers going hard in the paint trying to protect their money. Little Pump, someone I would not know if he rung my doorbell. It's a wild time. But I just want everybody to take a breath, relax, put on your mask, and go vote. Go be a part of this. Inform yourselves, not just on uh, the presidential race, but on uh, judges and, and like in your county judges, uh, school board representatives, uh, city council people. I mean, senators, obviously in Texas, senators. In Georgia, two senators. I mean, so there, there's a lot to... to and what I always say is this, democracy does not start and end on election day. You have to follow up and engage. You have to make your representatives accountable. And we, I, I had a discussion with somebody and they talked about, oh, well, you bargain with them before the election so you can hold their feet to the fire afterwards. Well, what people say a lot of times during the campaign is what they say during the campaign. But you can hold their feet to the fire. They are responsive to people engaging call your local congressperson look up something that's important whether it you don't have to know every bill but if the environment is important if health care is important if funding public school education is important whatever your issue is find an issue educate yourselves figure out how your representatives feel about that issue and reach out and be heard you it, it makes a difference it makes a difference because if it didn't people wouldn't be rallying to try to get the vote some people feel like oh i mean there's some some dark dark perspectives some depressing perspectives on what democracy is but i can't get swept up into that and i don't think we should i think that you can make people accountable at the end of the day if you speak you will be heard by somebody so there that is about as nice as i can be while i'm on my soapbox but please vote take a deep breath relax meditate do what you have to do just don't need all that tension some people are just not even gonna go to work that day some people are just gonna check out and get away from it. whatever you have to do for you and your family do that um, but at the end of the day hey just just relax it's going to be okay i'm confident of this this time so with that 
Going to take a time out, come back on the other side. We're going to get right back into the sports. We're going to get into, for those teams that did well, hey, they got a D-nice. Those teams and players, they, we, we handed out all D-nices. But for those who didn't, they still have the blues. That's coming up. We're going to hear from our sponsor first, Cobank Homes, and also our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy. On the other side, I'll tell you how to have your music heard. And then the E-Rob 50 uh, conversation, our Lamar Award. And before I let go, all that on this episode of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and CoBank Homes. The vision at CoBank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust CoBank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. CoBank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. CoBank Homes through Keller Williams. Welcome back to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast, our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy. And as I said a little bit earlier, I had a chance. He was doing something at a coffee venue in Houston, and they had this little market. It was really cool. It was a really cool thing. It was outdoors, and I was double masked, and I stopped by for about 15 minutes just to show my support. And if you get an opportunity, show your support for DJ Anarchy by checking him out on Instagram. And uh, DJ Anarchy is where you can find him. So look for him. He's our guy. Send him a shout-out. Tell him you appreciate what he does on the podcast. But if you have music and you'd like it heard on the podcast, you can submit it to us. Through our email address, muse at one of our multiple email addresses, but music at wadeswordproductions.com. That's music at wadeswordproductions.com. That way you can, in fact, have your music heard. We want it to be radio edit. The genre doesn't matter. If you are a DJ and you want to have a mix played, we'll play a portion at the halfway point and an extended portion of the mix at the end of the program. So, again, we want it to be radio edit, but the genre doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what kind of music, we played it all and we will continue to play it all. We have no problem with that at all. We want to expose your music to the thousands of folks who listen to the podcast. And we have folks listening, listening all over the country. Shouts out to Wimberley, Texas. Wimberley, Texas. I don't know who's listening to me in Wimberley. I am lobbying 
without going too deep into it, I'm lobbying for a retirement to Wimberley or maybe a vacation spot. I won't delve into that, but Wimberley, I like Wimberley. So if you're listening in Wembley, and apparently somebody is. I looked at the analytics. Los Angeles, California. L.A. is listening. I don't know. You may not always be happy with what you hear if you're listening in L.A. And also, um, Omaha, Nebraska. Nebraska. Shouts out to Nebraska. Don't know who's listening in Nebraska. We certainly appreciate it. Of course, my H-Town folks, you guys represent. But we have listeners all over the country. We want to thank you so much for that support. And you can always hit us up. Give us a call. Music at WadesWordProductions.com. And subscribe to the email list. Well, with that, I want to get into the teams who did not do so well. The players who do did not do so well. And for that segment... They're not happy at all. They're quite blue. Uh, Cue the music, Johnny Taylor. I'm sure you're familiar with the phrase, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Well, that doesn't apply to the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys got dominated bad by a team that doesn't even have a mascot. The Washington football team beat the hell out of the Cowboys 25-3. Not only did they lose their franchise quarterback in Dak Prescott, several offensive linemen, you have the worst defense in the entire NFL, your running game is struggling, and now your backup quarterback is in concussion protocol. The Cowboys have the gut bucket blues. The Atlanta Falcons even do right wrong. When they had an opportunity to run out the clock and get a field goal from the Detroit 12-yard line with just over a minute left to play, what do they do? They score a touchdown along Detroit without any timeouts, possession of the football. They score on the last play of the game, and they beat the Atlanta Falcons 23-22. The Falcons have the Blues. The New England Patriots have lost three in a row for the first time since 2002. They have no offense, no prospects, no cavalry coming. The star quarterback is turning over the football left and right, and Bill Belichick is going to have to get this COVID-plagued team turned around, and Cam Newton has to get it going, but right now, they still have the Blues. The New York Jets have no offense, no defense, no anything. They go to 0-7 on the season. They lose to the Buffalo Bills 18-10, and they have the Blues. We talked about Cam Newton. 9 for 15, 3 interceptions for 98 yards. Boy, that is awful. He still has the Blues. There were rumors that Cleveland Browns receiver Odell Beckham was on the trading block. Not anymore. He tore his ace on a Baker Mayfield interception, he still has the blues. New York Giants quarterback Daniel Jones, even when he's making highlight, he gets high load on an 80-yard run that would have taken him into the end zone. He gets tripped up by a blade of grass. That touchdown may have given him a victory. Instead, they lose to the Philadelphia Eagles and he still has the blues. It's hard being a starting quarterback in the NFL. It's much harder when your replacement next season is playing for the Clemson Tigers. That's the case with Sam Darnold who was 12 of 23 for 120 yards and two interceptions. He still has the Blues. And finally, Ezekiel Elliott, 12 carries for 45 yards. He's supposed to be one of the premier running backs in the league. He's only averaging 68 yards per game. And those players and those teams, they all still have the Blues. If you know somebody, some team, some player that you want to recognize as having the blues, you know a great time to hit me up on this is on Sunday nights or Monday nights on the sports line, 832-941-6614, or during the game. If you're watching the game and you see something that stands out, hit us up and let us know. Speaking of the NFL and uh, a number of other things, quite frankly, our, uh, our guy from the special teams unit, Eddie Robinson, former NFL linebacker, you know him. 
him. You love him. He's here all the time. We have a, a standing appointment once a week. We certainly appreciate him. He's coming up. We are going to hear from him. Going to talk some Formula One and some NFL and whatever else comes up. Here's our conversation with Eddie Robinson. Building, how are you this afternoon? Oh, man, everything's good. A lot of sports on TV, the World Series finishing up, bike races, Formula One races, football races. Man, everything's going on. Well, you know, after this week, we won't have anything but football. Well, I mean, you'll have European sports. But, I mean, after the World Series concludes, there's nothing else, no NBA. Because normally about this time, we will be getting ready for the tip-off of the NBA season. So this is kind of the last week for a while before the two sports kind of intersect with one another. You are a European sports nerd, so let's start with the Formula One. Lewis Hamilton making history in Formula One. Explain it to the people in a way that we can understand. Us Americans, us Yanks can understand. Well, I mean, it's it, basically he went on to win 92 races and he broke Michael Schumacher's record. Michael Schumacher was like the Michael Jordan of F1. You know, he was the guy race for Ferrari, uh, just just a clean cut German guy, just just would win at a phenomenal pace. And when he got that record to 92, I think the next best guy was Alan Pross and maybe Senna, who may have been like at 41 or 42. So, I mean, he just totally obliterated the F1, you know, race championship record. And I mean, and to win an F1 race is a huge thing. You have guys that may have been in F1 for five, 10 years and have never won an F1 race if he wasn't on a strong team or if he wasn't a really good driver. So just to win a race is a huge deal. So to win 92 races is huge. So, I mean, uh, Hamilton came along and, and caught Schumacher's record, which everybody thought would never happen. And uh, he tied it. And this year, this week, he passed it. So that's a huge deal. So it, it's kind of, I guess it's, I'm not going to say it's like a, Le, a LeBron James and Michael Jordan situation because, you know, I think, you know, Hamilton and Schumacher is two different eras. You can have debate about who's the go to the best ever. But now that Hamilton has actually broken his record, I mean, he's definitely in a debate. If he's, you know, they, out of those two, you look at the top three drivers in the history of F1, you know, Hamilton and Schumacher will be, you know, one and two or two and one, and then there'll be a third guy. So it, it's just, and for him to be the only guy of, uh, you know, only black guy that's uh, to ever do it, he's from Great Britain. And so I think it's just even more of a testament to him starting off in carding with all of the, you know, the different negative stereotypes and, and all of the barriers, financial and otherwise, that he had to overcome. And he's just done it with a lot of class and sophistication, is always speaking up against Black Lives Matter and social issues. So he's more than just, you know, a rich guy who just has a lot of money and it's only driving a car. He definitely speaks up for his community. So, you know, just a big weekend in F1. So a lot of times uh, the greatest of an era is defined not only by his own success, but his chief rival. Who is his chief rival? Is there, I mean, what, how would you assess? And again, I don't know how deep you go with the history of Formula One. How would you assess where Formula One is as it pertains to depth of talent? these days as opposed well, to it's, it's kind of hard to say because probably his chief rival right now is, is max verstappen who's still a young guy but he races with red bull and the problem with that is that the mercedes car is just a faster car than the red bull car so with, with formula one you have the car which is huge in the team so it's, it's not just an individual 
award. It's also a team award. So Mercedes has just had a tremendous car, but you know Lewis Hamilton is also a tremendous talent. So once you get those two things to match, then you can have you know domination like they've had. And it's the same thing with Ferrari. When you had Schumacher was winning a bunch of races, I mean, he was by far the best driver of the time and then he also had the best car with ferrari so it was just one of those things that you know every once in a while in the universe it kind of clicks up and then it just kind of happens and i would i would almost kind of say like a, a belichick and brady i mean you had a, a a really good quarterback who just was on a really good franchise and a good head coach and then you saw him winning a whole bunch of championships so sometimes it's more than one thing so to answer your question i, I guess the biggest rival he has you know, Sebastian Vettel, who's a four-time world champ with Red Bull. Uh, when he got with Ferrari, he kind of pushed Lewis Hamilton a little bit. Nico Rosberg was his teammate, and he actually beat Lewis one year, and then he retired. And that was a really good, you know, match going back and forth. When they both got with Mercedes, Lewis won the first two years, and Nico won the third year, then he retired, and then Lewis went on to win the next couple. So it's kind of hard to say that he has a rival just because you have some really good drivers, but to be honest, they don't have the team and the car around them that Lewis has. Well, and you provided a great transition for us when you talked about Brady Belichick. So let's go to the NFL. I want to go to the yes, NFL. Sir. A lot of people. First of all, what was your, your what's your general take before this season? Was the Patriots' success more a credit to Belichick or to Brady before this season? Well, honestly, I thought it was fifty-fifty. I, I thought they needed each other, and I thought. That is as good of a coach as Belichick was. I think Brady was just the right quarterback for the system. And if you, there's a YouTube link out there. I'm going to have to send it to you. And it talks about how Brady is the most overrated quarterback ever. I mean, he won all those champions because of the defense. Involved. I mean, if you look at all the other quarterbacks in this era, the, you know, the Drew Brees um, and, and other guys that, that came along. Yeah. And so, I mean, Drew Brees has won one championship. A guy in Green Bay has won one championship because Brady has just won a whole bunch. But, you know, even with the Peyton Manning, so Brady has always had a defense that was, like, ranked in the top 10. They had the best starting position. They had, like, you know, the most turnover margin. So it was a whole lot of other things that the defense and Belichick contributed to Brady's success. But I don't think you can take anything away from Brady. You may argue that, well, maybe he's not the all-time GOAT ever, but he's definitely, like, He's like Lewis and Schumacher. He's in the top three. I don't think you can name the top three quarterbacks of all time and not have Brady below number three. You know, and, and if for whatever reason you don't think he's number one, I'm fine with that. But he's definitely not lower than three. Now, so with that being said, who did you think was going to have a better post-marriage situation, Belichick or Brady? Did you have a, a dog in that fight? Did you think one would prosper more than the other? How did you how did you see it before the season? Because I'm asking you, I'll, I'll get to what's happening now. But before the season started, did you think, okay, well now nah, you know Brady will do better in Tampa than uh, the Patriots will do? Did you have a, a, a did you pick a favorite before the season? So I would I would say this: if you'd have made me bet on it pre-COVID with a full team and you know, everything normal, no COVID with the with the full defensive roster that the Patriots had. I probably would have went with the Patriots just because I think the system was in place and I think Cam Newton was able to navigate the system of taking the check down pass, um, being patient, being methodical, being more efficient, 
and not making mistakes and letting the defense and all of the positives that Belichick brings to the table help him win football games along with his ability to run and those other different unique plays that he can do that Brady can't do. So I would have bet on the Patriots. But I think what happened with the Patriots, they did lose a couple of key defensive players. So overall, as a team, they're not as strong. Cam Newton actually missed the game. So that, I think, the edge flipped to Brady, which... I'm not surprised, but I think you have to give him credit for what he's done in Tampa Bay. Now, with Tampa Bay, I mean, that was a pretty good team before from a talent standpoint. Jameis Winston had the huge upside, but he was very inconsistent. So what Brady has brought is a level of consistency, and that's what he's known for. He's he's known for being a consistent player who's always going to make the average play like 99% of the time and make a couple of big plays here and there. But one thing he doesn't do is make mistakes. He doesn't make more than one in the game. Where Jameis Winston would throw five touchdowns one weekend and five interceptions the next. His high and low was just swinging up and down on a huge pendulum, and Brady has that level of consistency but overall from a talent standpoint you look at the wide receivers the defense they had in place the running back they had enough people there to be a pretty good team before he even got there now that antonio brown is joining that offense for tampa bay what does that do for that offense oh i think it's huge because he's kind of like that edelman guy but with a lot more speed and explosiveness the guy that can run. If you look at the two receivers that Tampa have, they're big guys. They're, they're, they're outside guys who can make the big plays down the field. That's not really what Brady likes to do. He likes to throw those underneath routes real consistent. From 20 yards in, the guy's like a surgeon. He doesn't miss those. Very consistent. And he can still throw the big play when he has to. So to have a guy, a supreme route runner, who can get in and out of his brace like an Antonio Brown, who also has that deep play capability, I mean, so you're talking about who are you going to put on Antonio Brown? Are you going to put your third best cornerback on Antonio Brown with the other weapons that Tampa Bay has? I mean, with a full, healthy offense, I mean, it's, it's pretty intimidating from a defensive standpoint. It's almost like, you know, when Brady had Moss and those guys, when, when they went undefeated and lost in the Super Bowl, if you don't get pressure on Brady, then you have no chance. Now, you can stop him by getting pressure up the middle, so you better have a front four that can get pressure, and that's the only way I think you can really help to contain him with the weapons that he has in place at this point. Well, we see that uh, Godwin has a broken finger. Mike Evans, he's not, he's always up and down with his injuries. He's, he he didn't even look quite 100% on Sunday, and then you saw the other the guy that I guess will be the Antonio Brown, or that Antonio Brown will be replacing Miller, he had a 55-yard touchdown. So this is what I said prior to him signing with Tampa. I know the, the first person to come out and say something was Pete Carroll saying that they were going to, to look at him. And I didn't think that that was a good fit for Seattle. I think it's a better fit for Tampa. Did you think he would have been a, a good fit in Seattle? Me and Antonio Brown? Yeah, Antonio Brown, yeah. Cause I, didn't I mean, think he's, he's a high-level player. I mean, he would make anybody better. I mean, I, I still wish he would have went to the Saints um, last year when they were talking about signing him. His route running ability, what he does on the field, will make any team better, period. Now, what he does off the field may destroy you. <laughs> you right, know? right. So think, and that's what I worried I about think it's more. Just, it's just what you have to play with. You're playing with, it's like when you're a kid and you have that M60 Dynamite, and instead of lighting it on the ground, you want to light it in your hand and throw it. I mean, it may blow your finger off, but it may be a, a big old pile and you make everybody excited. So we just don't know what's going to happen. And yeah, and I think he'll be a little bit more controlled um, with Brady. Why would you think that? I don't but think I he don't would know. be at all. I you, mean, you, you think he's still a, a, leopard, uh, a leopard can't change his spots. <laughs> One thing my coach, Jerry Gray, Jerry Gray went to University of Texas, 
played with the Rams, coached me when I was with the Oilers, played with me with the Oilers, and coached me with the Oilers and Titans. And one thing he would always tell us, was guys acting a fool, he said, man, one thing they told me when I was growing up, money don't change you, it just make you more of what you are. So if you're a good guy with a lot of money, you're going to start giving out turkeys to the homeless, you're going to do a lot of stuff in the community, you're going to give out scholarships. But if you're a bad guy and an idiot, and you get all of that money, it's just going to amplify that much more. You're going to be a big old idiot, and you're going to do a lot. And I'm not saying the guy's an idiot, but you're going to do a lot of crazy things because that's what you are. So the money don't change you. It just highlights what you are. So I don't think but you, it, it'll be foolish to, for anyone to think that he's going to play these last 10 games and maybe the playoffs and not have an incident while he's in Tampa. Impossible. Well, see, this Impossible. Is, this, this is now, why it may not be an incident that causes him to get suspended or put off the team or whatever, but his track record has shown that Mike Tomlin did a great job. There was a lot of things I'm sure that happened that didn't get reported. It is no way this guy goes to Tampa. I don't care who's the head coach. I don't care who, who's the quarterback. His history has shown that he's going to have some incident at some point. It's just a matter of how big of a distraction it will be and what happens from that point. Well, here's the reason why I say that. I think that one guy in the NFL that has gone to bat for him recently more than anybody else has been Tom Brady. So you think he wouldn't want to – he would want to say, hey, man, this dude, you know, he's rallied for me. He wanted me in New England. He wanted me back in New England even when Belichick didn't. And now he brought me in to Tampa. I'm going to try to, you know, be true to, to his loyalty to me. He rode for me, so I'm going to ride for him. As opposed to going to Seattle when you, you had that young receiving DK Metcalf. You know, I, I didn't want him tampering with that, that situation in Tampa. Nah, Seattle, Seattle didn't need him. You don't, you don't need that distraction. You, like you said, you have two good receivers, and the guy that stirs that coffee is by far Russell Wilson. He's the quarterback. I mean, he's in the right place. If he has that relationship with Brady, I mean, maybe Brady can keep him under control. I mean, Brady went to bat for Alex Hernandez. He didn't keep him under control, did he? So I'm well, just they, saying, we had already committed those murders. <laughs> <laughs> those murders were already committed. Just, now, with, now, with all of that said, if I was the head coach of Tampa, I would have signed him. I mean, because because I'm the type of coach and I'm trying to win, and I understand that I may have to go get a guy, you know, out the clink at 8 a.m. for the three o'clock start. You know what I'm saying? So I'm trying to win. So I definitely would have signed him. I think the risk reward factor is is big enough reward that is worth taking a risk on the guy. So I'm not saying he shouldn't be in the NFL. I think Tampa did a great job of signing him. You probably don't have a whole lot of money into him, whatever, whatever. And worst case million. scenario, if you have to if you have to release him, you release him. But I think Tampa was definitely smart to sign him and give him a chance because the, the upside is huge. I mean, he can definitely be that guy that gets you over the hump to help you win the world championship. I mean, he's that type of talent. All I'm saying is, it's impossible for me to think he's going to go the whole rest of the football season and not have some type of incident, whether it be big or small. So as a Saints fan, do you think that Tampa is more of a favorite now that they have Antonio Brown? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Saints, are, the Saints aren't playing their best football yet. We still have to get Michael Thomas back. So, And I think we play them in two weeks. They go to Chicago, then they go to Tampa. So I think in this whole format, I mean, realistically, there's no home field advantage. I mean, playing on the road is just like playing on home because there's no crowd noise. I mean, if you look at the way Green Bay came into the Superdome and they hard counted the Saints and we jumped a couple times on third down, there's no crowd noise. That would have never happened in the full Superdome. So I don't think anybody can predict that there's going to be 70,000 people in any stadium by the end of January during the playoffs. So realistically, you're just trying to get into the playoffs 
And only one team's going to get a bye. So whether you have to play on the road or play at home, it's just going to be the teams have to play. So I don't think you're really playing for a whole lot. As long as the Saints can make the playoffs, you just have to beat them one game. You have to be the best team. You just got to be the best team that day. And you're not really playing on the road, even though you're the road team. So I think this is going to be a very unique situation in football because the home team won't have a real home field advantage other than you're sleeping in your own bed. So let me go back to Cam Newton. Cam Newton, three interceptions. Two weeks in a row, he's turned over the ball quite a bit. Got benched. He ended up with like 100 uh, – he ended up with nine nine completions, 100 yards. I mean, not much. He didn't. Have, he had a horrible, horrible day. Got benched for Jared Stenham, who then went in the game and threw his own interception. What do you think – about Cam is is this just a product of him with the COVID not having a practice not having a true off season because of COVID what what do you think is going on with him and is he does he still have an opportunity there or do you think he's just about done? My, I don't think he's just about done because I I don't think the the backup is a realistic alternative. So I think you have to go back to him and maybe you have to simplify things. Now, now keep in mind you have Brady who's been you know, working in the same system for 15 years. So it's, it's like if I give you the test and you already know the answers to it, you've been taking the same test for year after year. Yeah, I may change the order of it, but you you still know the answers. It's the same test. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a, a system shot from Cam. And I think the, the biggest thing with New England is you have to do the things that fit Cam. And that's what makes a coach a good coach. You don't tell me what he can't do. Show me what he can do. It's some things he can do well. If, if he has to draw up the plays and say, hey, these are the five or eight, ten plays that I feel really good about. And you just keep one of them same eight to ten plays and you switch them up left to right with formations and keep it simple. I think Cam can still be productive, especially because he has the RPO. He has a lot of things he brings to the table that Brady doesn't. So you can't just have him sit back in the pocket and try to turn him into Tom Brady. He's Cam Newton. He's a different type of player. And so I think you have to exploit all of that. Third and three, third and five. It's a run-pass option. He can run it. He can pass it. He can throw it. It's a lot of different things that Cam can do. So I have enough faith in Belichick to feel like that they will get it figured out, even if it takes a, a simplified approach or whatever. The, I don't know what the issue is, but whatever the issue is, and I feel like Cam is a good enough player that, yeah, it, it may not be four touchdowns a game, but you definitely have to eliminate the turnovers first and you work on that. It's been a disastrous season for both teams in Texas. I mean, let's start with the Dallas Cowboys. Man, it just oh, – man, the offensive line. I knew, knew you going to try to call me out on my Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl yeah. pick. Yeah, oh, man, that is <laughs> that is done with before before yeah, Halloween. That might, might be the jinx. Whoever I pick just goes to crap, seems like. Well, I mean, they, it started with the offensive line woes and then, of course, uh, Dak Prescott. And now Andy Dalton gets knocked out of a game. He's in concussion protocol. Really, Ezekiel Elliott is not running the ball well. He's only averaging 60 yards per game rushing. How can you fix any of that in Dallas? Because not only are they struggling defensively, which they have all season long, but now without Dak and three or four offensive linemen out for the year, can you salvage any of that? Well, I think what you have to do is just get back to basic football. Football is about blocking and tackling. So, it goes once again, you take that offensive line and maybe the guys are limited in some areas. You have to figure out the plays that they can execute well and you have to get Dak started and they just have to make it to halftime and be within seven points. So it's hard for Dak to get over 60 yards rushing when at halftime you're down by 20 every time. So his, his probably pass receptions numbers are, are higher than they've ever been. But the biggest thing is that the team has fallen behind early you know, through turnovers, giving up big plays on defense. And it's the same thing with defense. It's like we fall behind early, we don't have a running game, and then 
you know, we're playing a team who can run it, they can pass it, they can do what they want because they're playing with a lead. And so their whole playbook is open. So it's it's just it's, it's like when you're playing spades and, and one dude is cutting and the other one is <laughs> cutting on the other side. One's cutting hearts, one card cutting clubs, and you just sitting on the middle and it's like you never get a chance to lead. So it's kind of you have to kind of right the ship and it's just going to have they just need to start off the game and have a good first quarter. And, and then, like I said, if they can get to halftime within three points or seven points, I think that'll be a success. And then that way you can actually run your offense and have ball control, work play action, take the underneath passes, you know, just the basics of football. But the good thing is that with the East being so bad, they still have a chance to win two or three games in a row and get it turned around. So they're not in the division where they're totally out of it. So I don't know if the playoffs is, is a realistic approach, but I think from a standpoint of trying to get a sense of normalcy or trying to get a win or two, right now you just need a win. And, and it's amazing what one win can do when you haven't won in a couple of weeks and you're playing bad and you're playing hard. You know, one win won't turn your season around, but it definitely can stop the bleeding and then hopefully you can start moving in the right direction. So let's go down I-45 here to Houston. I mean, it was a tough schedule. I mean, it's hard to you, – you beat Jacksonville. Now you got to come back and deal with Green Bay coming off of a loss. But how bad are things in the city of Houston for the Texans? Yeah, I mean, Green Bay just looked like, you know, a loss is a loss, a win is a win. And you don't get style points for how you lose. But I think what was happening with the Texans is when they lose, they're losing like they shouldn't even be on the field with the team. And if you look at the way Green Bay, Devontae Adams, I mean, it was almost like a varsity versus the JV. And so, and it shouldn't look that bad. You, you may say, yeah, the Green Bay was the best team and they probably would have won, you know, seven out of eight or ten, eight out of ten times. But let's compete. And I think what you're seeing now is that the Texans are in that kind of downward spiral and you just have to you have to get a W and you have to kind of change what's going on. And the only way you can change that is to get a win. But right now it's not looking very good. And like you said, you know, last time we talked, I mean, they don't have a first round draft pick to compensate them for a, a four and 12 season or, you know, a five and 11 season. So you can't even say, hey, we're going to rebuild towards next year with a high draft pick. And so that's what makes it doubly hurt and then you look at d hop you know who's out here in arizona leading the league in receptions and having a grand old time so that just makes it like ugh. you know well <laughs> so, yeah i know it makes it feel I mean, worse Texas fan, it is not a whole lot you can say positive about 2020 yeah and and i know that will fuller just tied a franchise record with five consecutive games with with touchdown reception so uh, he's doing he's doing okay the receiving core is okay uh they didn't get the production that they normally have been getting sunday but here's my question about the texans trade deadline is coming up Everybody is going to be in a situation where they're going to have to deal with some some payroll issues. Is the salary cap is supposed to drop down to 178 million dollars? What do you think should should JJ Watt be on the trade block? Everybody except Deshaun Watson. Everybody Period. should be on. Yeah, okay. So I mean, Every, I and when I say when I say everybody. Tunsil, everybody. Well, not <laughs> like, yeah. Well, you just locked everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and and the reason I say that is because you don't have draft picks. The best way to deal with salary cap problems is to get as many draft picks and draft as many young players as you can and rebuild around Deshaun Watson. You have to say we're not a playoff team this year by far. More than likely, we're not going to get this turned around and be a playoff team next year because of the teams in our division. The Tennessee Titans are looking pretty good. The Colts are not too bad. 
Jacksonville's middle of the road, but they do have a quarterback who they feel like is a franchise guy, and they're putting some pieces in place. So realistically, are we going to be better than the Tennessee Titans in 2021? Probably not the way things look with us not having draft picks. So the best thing you can do is cut salary, get draft picks, take the hit this year, take the hit in 2021. And realistically, you're trying to look at we want to be a contender in a Super Bowl team in 2022. Why? Because we already have a Deshaun Watson who's a Super Bowl caliber, MVP caliber quarterback. So build pieces around him, trade everybody, and rebuild. Well, and the reason why, and I, I didn't know if you had a different perspective because you played in the league. Is there such thing, such a thing as a guy that has been – the face of the franchise for so many years when you look at a situation like Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay or going back to Montana in San Francisco, is certain players, do you not want to see them in different uniforms? Is that Does that come into play at all for a player? And obviously, like I said, even with McNair having to go to Baltimore late in his career when you wish he could have stayed uh, with the Titans, do you think about that at all as a player sort of starting and finishing your career with one organization? Well, it sounds good, theoretically, but once they have free agency and the owners have shown you again and again that we value the helmet and the logo more than we value the person that's wearing it. So from a player standpoint, you understand that the chances of you starting and finishing your career at the same team is highly unlikely. Now, once we went to the playoffs in 92 and 93, we had a bad loss to Buffalo in 92, and we had just as bad of a loss In 93 to Kansas City, we still had a Super Bowl caliber team. But what did they do? They traded Warren Moon, who went on to throw for thousands of more yards with with Minnesota. Well, (laughs) what happened with that, and and you know this, is that the – the Oilers had not prepared for the salary cap era at all, and they when the salary cap era came, they were they had so many big contracts that they had to get rid of, and that, at that point they were like, okay, well we're gonna tear this thing up. We, they knew that they had that last run, but they had they done nothing to prepare for the salary cap, and, and I think that that's what more as much as is anything led to sort of breaking that entire team up. I don't know. I mean, how much do you remember? that being an impact on that team well you had a lot of big salaries on defense and a lot of those guys did leave but you had you know the commander cody carlson who was supposed to take over the offense and you know it was like warren moon who was the iconic person to answer your question he was the iconic face of the face of the franchise at that time if that team would have had a warren moon you're talking about a team that could have been competitive and possibly made the playoffs because we still had a good young roster and we were really good at getting good people and good players in the draft. We still had a young defense and a lot of guys who went on to play a lot of years in the NFL in 94. But once you didn't have the quarterback, then it all fell to pieces. You know, the commander, we had three Southwest Conference quarterbacks. Three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We had the commander, Cody Carson. We had Bucky Richardson. And we had Billy Joe Tolliver. And we won two games, okay? So yeah. <laughs> that's what happened. You got three Southwest Conference quarterbacks trying to run the NFL team. But my point is, no person is bigger than the franchise. And so, yeah, you can have the emotional value. You can have the fans wanting to have them. And and you got kids with T-shirts and and jerseys from 15 years and all that type of stuff. You have to put the team first. And it's an uncomfortable decision. And it's the same thing with with Peyton Manning when he went to Denver. I mean, you see it that the franchises who do well – 
they understand that at some point we have to move on from this guy who's been our face. And when he comes back, you do a big video montage of him and you have the, the day when he comes back and you give out bobbleheads and all of that and you thank him for all the championships he's won. But when it's time to move on, it's time to move on. And too many franchises try to stay with that legendary guy for a year or two too long. Okay. And yeah, when it's yeah. time to get when it's time to move on, you have to move on. And so I think the Texans, you can't fall in love with JJ Watt. If it's a team that'll trade JJ Watt and take that salary and give you a fifth or sixth round pick right now, you gotta move on because he's six, not helping yeah. you. You're not making a playoff this year, and he's not gonna help you make a playoff run next year. He'll still be a pillar in the community and he does a lot of great things and you still have J.J. Watt Day and you put his name in the circle, whatever you have and all that type of stuff. Yeah, Hall of Fame player, no doubt. But you can't put him ahead of rebuilding the franchise, which right now you are rebuilding the franchise. You just fired the GM. You fired the head coach. You don't have a first-round draft pick, and you're not going to win more than six games. You are in total rebuild mode right now. Yeah. So go ahead and start the rebuilding process. If you gut it now, and the best thing is you don't have that many fans in the stadium that has to watch. Right. So you have to deal with the boos. So, man, I would trade everybody right now, and I would get that salary cap as low as I can, even if I can't get draft picks. And just try to move forward because those fifth, sixth, and seventh round draft picks, trust me, you pick enough of them, one of them is going to turn out to be a Pro Bowl <laughs> player. It just always happens. Yeah. So before we let you get out of here, World Series, uh, do the Dodgers close it out tonight or does it go to a game man, seven? The Dodgers should have already closed it out, man. But hey, you know, I'm 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 going with the Dodgers, man. You got to love Mookie Betts, Bellinger, all those guys. You know, Kershaw. I think it's time. I mean, after the whole debacle in 2017, the oh, beat no. up the garbage cans. I mean, how much First do you all, want the city to have to take? I mean, they just can't take anymore. I mean, and for the Astros' sake, if the Dodgers win, it gets the Astros off the hook, and everybody will turn the page on the cheat scam. Well, first of all, they lost to the Nationals. I knew you were going to have a rebuttal. I knew it. I knew it. Hey, show's over. Thanks for coming out, guys. We love you. God bless and good night. First of all, the Dodgers couldn't beat the Nationals last year to get back to the World Series, and they couldn't beat Boston in 2018. So it ain't just on the Astros. So you're not going to talk about 2017. 2017, they won on the road without a trash can. Wasn't no trash can in Dodgers Stadium. Matter of fact, the Dodgers won here. So they won. One here in Houston. So if if the trash cans were working, how how were they able to win in Houston? And, you know. So. Uh, there you go, buddy. But if it wasn't for the confidence of hitting off those trash cans in Houston, you wouldn't have been able to take no that confidence. on the road. Man, okay. they, look, they said that ending in 2018. Since then, they've gone to the ALCS four years in a row. They won another world. I mean, they went to another world series. Should have won in Game Seven, but Hinch kind of choked that one away. But nonetheless. That's, that's, uh, that's the rule of sports. What should have happened happened. Well, you can't go yeah. by no should have, could have, well, would have. Right. But, but really, I mean, Tampa Bay is going to be a tough team. I mean, it's going to be tough to get 27 outs against Tampa Bay and actually beat them because now it's you know it's a pure elimination game. So that means every pitcher on their roster is up. Everybody's on that Tampa Bay team is going to play tonight, and you don't know who's going to step up and make a big play. And so you saw that last time. I think uh, Phillips, you yeah. know the Dodgers. If they lose this series, they're going to go back to that the game before this one when Jensen gave up the play. And the one thing I'm going to tell you about that play, I'm, you know, I'm a Little League baseball coach, and I can't believe that nobody has pointed it out. Like Big Poppy, A-Rod, nobody's pointed it out. The thing about that play, when the ball is hit to the outfield, the pitcher 
always backs up the catcher. If you look at Jensen, he's standing in between the pitcher's mound and home plate like a spectator. He should have had a bag of popcorn. If Jensen would go behind the catcher and back him up, when the catcher misses that ball, he scoops it up, he tosses it back, you tag him, we go to extra innings, you may win that game, the series could be over. But nobody pointed it out. I don't, because I don't a think... fielding error that they practiced time and time again, and Jensen did not back up the catcher, well, and that's why they lost that here's game. Here's my answer to that. I don't think that Jensen would have been able to make that play quick enough to save that run. Even with the guy stumbling, he got back up there and got down there quick. So no, I, I don't no, know. No, 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 because... Because I always – I've been coaching baseball, and I trust me, this happens so many times. When you're backing up the catcher, you align yourself with the throw from the outfield. Now, you can say from a skill standpoint, because the catcher missed the, the glove clean, maybe the ball deflected off, but at least if he's back there, he has a chance of that ball to bounce on him, but he never went behind the catcher to back him up. And the bigger the throw, you can get far enough back, you can get almost to the backstop. So you catch it on one hop, you throw it back, you have a chance. That dude was dead. If you back him up, you got a chance. If you don't back him up, you have no chance. I, I look at that again. I don't think he could have gotten that done. It was a bang bang kind of thing, even after the because again. Hey man, are you gonna try to contradict me on everything in the show? <laughs> if so I'm not coming on next week, man. You gotta be on my side sometime. Hey, trust me, I I'm told on... you what happened. That's what happened. Now go look it up and correct me next week. That's why you're here because I'm on your side. <laughs> Politics notwithstanding. <laughs> <laughs> how, can, how can folks reach you on social media? At erob 50 on Instagram and Twitter. Hey, man, people love you, man. I, you get rave reviews week in and week out, man. So I certainly appreciate you joining me. And uh, like I said, I look forward to, to our Tuesday conversations. Absolutely. We'll see you next week with the L.A. Dodgers as the world champions, and they finally got over that 217 Astros cheating scandal. <laughs> All right. I'm going to wear you out on that one. Yeah, I see. All right, man. Thank you. All right. I want to thank Eddie for joining us as always. If you have comments or for him, or questions for him, or just uh, comments on what we talked about, again, I want to remind you guys, keep hitting us up. You can also hit me up with messages on Facebook and uh, wherever you listen, you can leave messages. But we also prefer you give us a call, 832-941-6614. Well, it's almost time to get out of here. But before I get out of here, it is time for... The Lamont Award. I don't want to wish you no bad luck, but I hope your ship sinks. With no lifeboats and no life preservers and a school of piranhas surrounding you, you big dummy. The Lamont Award goes to the player, team, entity, someone in or around the world of sports that we deem to be the big dummy of the podcast. And this time out, if you've watched some of the, the comments from week seven around the NFL, some of the shows, you have seen, probably seen this. And you probably know where I'm going with this. Sometimes it just lays itself out for you and it's right there. I don't have to do any research. I didn't have to read much. This clip was all over the place. I saw it on Twitter, and it's Jeff Garcia, former NFL quarterback. What I remember about Jeff Garcia was his red hair and T.O. criticizing him unfairly or whatever and taking shots at him, and that cast T.O. in a bad light. 
when they played together in San Francisco. He was a, a 500 quarterback, 58 and 58 as a career starter. Had, I mean, he had a long career as a 49ers quarterback. He, you know, he was around, and then he bounced around some, whatever, whatever. So he is on a show somewhere. And usually the kind of take that he put out there is something that you would hear from somebody deep on YouTube or some obscure podcaster like me. <laughs> so you would hear this from somebody who was trying to clout chase by going in on somebody unfairly or just don't have you just don't have any perspective now again i don't know what exact show this was on i think it was a san francisco post game show which he was providing some sort of expertise which and again i don't know all of what he said but he should have said none of this you go into this game two touchdowns four interceptions you throw what three more interceptions you get yanked in the second half there's nothing good going your way why are you dressing like that to bring more attention to yourself i'd be trying to ask the equipment managers put me in your jock sock cart and sneak me in the back door and i'll show up on the field and do the best that i can so this is jeff garcia former nfl quarterback what the f are you talking about? What the f are you talking about? What are you talking about? And look, the, the rant went on much, much longer than that. And there was a visceral anger. You could just kind of feel his anger. It's been bubbling up inside of him. Now, you didn't get a critique of his decision-making. Oh, well, hey, that, this, the safety walked over here. He was, he was, you should have known that he stepped down. The linebacker, you could see in this coverage. You didn't give me any of that. No X's and O's, at least from what I saw. Because what you did, and even if you did that, maybe you did that. Maybe you provided some expertise coming from the perspective of a quarterback, and you told us exactly why he was making the mistakes that he made. But that was overshadowed by this stupid that you just said. So according to your theory, you are supposed to dress according to your performance. So now you're supposed to bring a suit and a trash bag. And depending on how you play, that's what you're supposed to wear to the post-game press conference. This makes me feel very uncomfortable because this is some sort of cultural shot across the bow. Why does that make a difference? Have you watched guys entering the arena in the NBA? Do you, have you wait, seen a guy named Dwayne Wade, what he's worn? Have you seen what guys, how they dress Harden and some of the greatest players that ever play basketball? You, you want to Walt Frazier, if you want to go back. Walt Frazier. You, you, I mean, you can go, go way, way back. What a guy wears has zero to do with how he performs, other than what he wears on the field. If he has the wrong shoes, that the cleats aren't deep enough or whatever, or, or, or you your jock strap is too tight, whatever. It, whatever you wear off the field has nothing, nothing to do with how you perform. And apparently, he had no problem with what Cam was wearing when he was going to the Super Bowl. And furthermore, these guys these days are brands these are not just football players these are brands and they are always on they have millions of followers they, the cameras are always on them these guys are setting themselves up away from the field and that's away from the field 
He didn't talk about, at least, again, I didn't hear. He didn't talk about the fact that Cam had no real offseason because of COVID. He had no training camp because of COVID. He's with a brand-new team coming off of major injuries over the last couple years. I didn't hear that. He didn't talk about the fact that he missed a couple weeks with COVID, a week of play, and the team didn't practice. He had COVID. We didn't talk about any of that. You didn't talk about the fact that he had for receivers. He has garbage offensive players around him. We didn't talk about any of that. You want to talk about some that he has on. This is absolutely ridiculous. It has a racial undertone. Nobody talks about what anybody else wears. It has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> Look, they criticize him and have fun with him on Twitter, but that's aside from his performance. This guy's been an MVP. This guy's taking his team to the Super Bowl. This guy has led an organization for many, many years. Never been arrested. Not a bad guy. He's flamboyant. He's flashy. He's, that's what he is. But so many guys around the world of sports are like that. And you're talking about what he wore to the press conference. The press conference. This is the that you're talking about. Somebody pay, is paying you for your expert opinion about what the f he has on. Are you f kidding me? Jeff Garcia, you are a big dummy. You big dummy. <laughs> <laughs> This was over the top and out of line. And Cam sort of, he kind of said, oh, yeah, well, yeah, maybe, maybe so, whatever. He's right, but I won't change the way I dress. Well, Cam, I, I understand. You don't, in this situation, bruh, you don't have to come to your own defense. There are many people in the media that will. Twitter did. Twitter showed Jeff Garcia and some craziness he had on. Jeff is a 500 quarterback. Nobody knew what he had on. Did he dress? I don't know what he, did he dress in 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 prison oranges or you know did you wear like a striped penitentiary suit on the days that you threw multiple interceptions? I mean I don't I, it's just it defies logic and the the anger in Jeff Garcia's takes it didn't feel right it didn't feel right at all I can't say what it was or what it wasn't but I can tell you how it made me feel. So, I can tell you what I felt like. It didn't feel right. Didn't feel cool. Didn't feel kosher. And for that reason, we had to give him a Lamont Award. If you agree, disagree, give me your take. 832-941-6614. With that, before I let go. Before I let go, hey, want to thank you guys. want to send shouts out to my guy, Ray Miller. Ray Miller, this guy is inspirational in how much he has evolved and been open and willing to, to evolve. He inspires me to say, okay, yeah, I, we all need to evolve and, and open our minds up to different things. That he's a, he's a guy that's done that big-time supporter of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. So shout-out to him. Shout-out to Wimberley, Texas. I don't know who's listening. Wimberley, shout-out. I'm coming. Save me a piece of land somewhere, somewhere up there so I can – yeah, reside there one day. Um, also, shout out to our sponsor, Cobank Homes. Want to thank Eddie Robinson, our guy from the Special Teams Unit. Want to thank our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy. Want to remind you guys that on Thursday, 
Thursday, we have another edition of the Why We Kneel segment. So that's coming up. So a great show coming up on Thursday. Give us your feedback, your takes, your thoughts, any of those things. Look out for us on Facebook. Look out for an announcement coming up soon. And as always, remember these four things. Number one, I don't do no favors after 6 o'clock in the evening. Two, I ain't got no money. Three, I'm not harboring any fugitives from justice. And four, bye. This has been the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter at Wade's Word. Thank you for listening.